0: Welcome to Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up with the Successpert, award-winning financial educator, wealth expert, speaker, and author Alfred Edmund Jr. and your co-host, life coach and author D. Marshall. It's Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up.
1: It's Be Lifted Up. Your guide to living an abundant life. My name is DC Marshall, and he is
0: Alfred Edmund Jr.
1: And this is a show about faith and finances and really everything in between for us, people of God, uh, you know, the culture and, you know, everything that's good, great, yummy, and delicious. We really talk about it here on the show. We've got great guests, but, you know, Alfred, when I think about our show, it's really about advancing the culture, advancing, you know personally, professionally, spiritually, right? Absolutely. Why? Because the word of the Lord in John ten ten says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, more abundantly. And so we talk about everything that leads us to more, to abundance, to press down, shaken together and running over. Everything that leads us to be a good, great and better witness for the Lord. And so super excited about today's show, Alfred. What about you?
0: I'm very excited because it also talks about another element of abundant life, that when we're living in abundance, we can be generous as God is generous to us. And today we're dealing with the driving question, what are the requirements to become a philanthropist? And we're talking about social impact via philanthropy. When all is said and done, we're not blessed. We're not the final stop on the blessing (laughs) train. We are being blessed so that we have the capacity to bless others.
1: We are talking about a philanthropist, philanthropy. Listen, actually, I just remembered, um, Alfred, August is um, on Martha's Vineyard is a big to-do around philanthropy. It's, it's really interesting to watch. Um, and then there's just a growing trend of discussion and conversation around Um, you know, philanthropists uh, and just, you know, I think raising social impact, you know, funds and investing. So I'm super excited about this. I just, just thought about that. Um, But we're talking to Brandilyn Barnett. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a change agent. And I'm looking forward to really just hearing more about him. You know, he wrote a book, Dreams Deferred, Alfred, do you know about this recession struggle and the quest for a better world?
0: I did not know about that before the show. So of course we definitely got to you know, read the book and I'm glad we're gonna have um, Brandon on to talk about the book and why he wrote it and what it's about. But I'm excited about the show also because we're talking about social impact. Um, and if there's anything that I really, is one of my core beliefs about what it means to be a person of faith or being a Christian, It's not just about what we believe, it's about the impact we have on others, that we are, whether we are a pastor or not, whether we're a deacon or any of those kind of formal titles of being in a formal church structure, we are created to provide some kind of ministry, some kind of service to others. And so when we talk about philanthropy, we're talking about social impact, we're really talking about a foundational part of what faith living and abundant living is supposed to be about, not just what accrues to you, in terms of what you experience and what you receive, what you're able to do for others, especially the least of these. Um, as Jesus said, if you did it for the least of these, you did it for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I want to bring Brandon in because I really want to start with, uh, well, two things. I certainly want to have and learn a little bit more about Brandon. So I'm going to have him introduce himself. But I really also want to, hey there, Brandon.
0: Hello. Welcome, Welcome to the show, you. man.
1: <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the show. You know, I want to do two things here. Uh, You know, I'm interested to learn more about you beyond your bio, but I also want to start this conversation with um, you educating us on social impact, because I think we think we know um, social impact. We're hearing a lot more conversations in recent years around social impact. I think from a corporate perspective, um, because I do this work. I just know from the context of sustainability and ESG, environmental, social, and governance. um, I know just a little bit from the perspective of like private and public partnerships. So can you um, start us off with giving some insight about who you are and then this uh, uh, social impact, what it is, what it means to our communities and then uh, we'll go deeper in our conversation today.
2: Yeah, happy to do that. And I think, you know, in terms of, Who I am, first of all, I'm thankful to be here with you today having this conversation uh, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, I started my career obsessed with the idea of doing work that had an impact, and I think at that time I had a, a definition of social impact that I think a lot of people share, which is that it's work that happens in nonprofits. It's work that happens in foundations, many of them large foundations that people often don't necessarily have a full understanding of, but have heard the names of, like the Gates Foundation or the Sloan Foundation or big corporate foundations. Uh, It happens in governmental institutions or multilateral institutions like the United Nations. I think that's what people often associate with social impact, Um, but for me, I have done a lot of work in the social impact space in ways that have broadened my mind to the definition of what social impact is. So I'm currently, I'm an entrepreneur and angel investor based in the Washington DC area. I'm also a local elected official here in Washington DC. So I serve about 2,300 constituents in the Columbia Heights neighborhood of DC. And I have run programs and products and startups at everywhere from Salesforce to most recently being chief product officer for a Y Combinator backed company called Deed, which helped large companies around the world engage their employees in giving back and in volunteering. And what I've learned along the way is that social impact to me is actually much simpler than I believed at first, and I think that many of us believe. I define it very simply as the movement of resources to people who need them. And that can take many forms. It can take the form of a nephew being helped by their uncle to do their homework. It can take the form of collective giving or It can take the form of traditional philanthropy and giving to large nonprofits like Save the Children or Doctors Without Borders, but it's not limited to that. And I think that's the message I've been trying to share um, because, you know, my book, Dreams Deferred, Recession, Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World is about my struggles before, during, and just after the 08 recession. And a lot of those struggles, I can trace back to this idea of, I really just wanted work making the world a better place and struggle to get paid enough, struggle to find opportunity to advance, struggle to get recognition for how hard I was working. And I think a lot of folks feel that that's, that's what they need to do, to be on a path that makes the world better. And my message is that that act of making the world better than you found it, leaving it better than you found it, which is something I learned from my mother. um, And I think a lot of us do. That's something anyone can do anywhere. Uh, and so I more preach the message of, you know, impact can happen anywhere in anything you're doing. And I think that's the future of social
0: impact. I'm really digging that message. Um, I've interviewed a number of what I call emerging black philanthropists who are really, as you are reframing philanthropy, particularly in the black community. Like we said, we think it as something that either billionaires do or huge institutions do when one well, study after study after study it shows that per capita black people give much more of their resources to charitable efforts uh, they just don't see themselves as big philanthropists yeah. and um you know liz and don thompson of the camp cafe fund come to mind they started this whole initiative to fund black educators in the efforts to improve um black education mm-hmm. and they were saying that one of the things they want to do is help us to recognize that we all in many ways probably are philanthropists, but just don't see each other that way Mm -hmm. and have a capacity for philanthropy that we do kind of without realizing it. But if we leaned into that identity, we'd be more effective at it. We'd get more joy and reward out of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm really um, feeling what you came to in your own experience um, for this idea of social impact is something that each and every one of us can not only experience, but deliver and get some of the rewards of doing that.
2: Yeah, and I think that impression that a lot of us have is not just because we're mistaken, there's actually a a set of systems that are in place, regulations on who gets a tax deduction, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a long history in a lot of different communities like the Hispanic community and the black community here in the US in particular of groups and individuals in a community coming together, pooling funds, things like the school lunches, school lunch program came out of that kind of movement, Mm. but participation in those movements never got you a big tax break, right? If if it wasn't going directly to a 501c3, those kinds of activities weren't, you know, sort of benefited from from state action. And so there's a whole set of systems that have led us to think that way, but Mm. I, I think we have to think differently. I'm currently running a startup here in DC called The Regular. And I got tired of working with big Fortune 500 companies like Deloitte and Kellogg and whomever and Salesforce to help them engage with communities. And so we're going around the local bars and restaurants and encouraging them to get their customers to give back to the community through volunteering, through making donations, through choosing partner charities. And I think if we really want the world to change, you know, my position is that that change is going to take participation from all of us. And so this idea that we can just depend, as you say, on billionaires to come in and save us or on large institutions to change communities, I think there's enough history now uh, to show that that just doesn't work. It's not going to work. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And is it that it's not going to work or it's not likely to happen in the way that we need it to happen and at the speed that we need it?
2: I think it's the latter. And you mentioned, for example, ESG. I mean, the ESG movement, and I'll say just very quickly, began as a movement of people just trying to get their companies to be more responsible, whether they were employees of that company or customers of that company. But now it's evolving into a system uh, for investors and bankers. We need it to remain something that's grassroots. That's what drives real change, movements.
0: We are talking to Brandolyn Barrett, the author of Dreams Deferred, Recession, Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World, He is an entrepreneur, he is an elected official, a servant of the people in multiple ways, a change agent. And he's talked to us about uh, really us understanding our roles as philanthropists, seeing ourselves as philanthropists, um, understanding that all of us have that capacity. And not only is that an opportunity, it's really a necessity if we're gonna have broad social impact and change um, to better society and, and to better our communities and better our people. Talk some more, um, Brandolyn, about what you you hope people will get from your book, what is the takeaway, if you will, for how we should approach our lives. And this, Obviously, we're speaking to a faith-based audience, but whether you're talking within traditional institutions and in Black communities like churches that do a lot of charitable slash philanthropic work, or outside of those institutions in terms. I mean, you talked about your, your startup and really reaching people where they are, whether that's at, you know, a bar or a restaurant or whatever to say, listen, there's ways that you can be a philanthropist um, without you having to go to the Ford Foundation and, and figure out what programs that they're supporting.
2: Yeah. I mean, the first, I wrote my book really for two reasons. And the first was just to to share my story. Um, you know, I began the book recounting what was for me rock bottom, you know, taking an unpaid internship in San Francisco, just trying to build a career uh, in my mid twenties. And I ended up, you know, at some points almost living on the streets, barely able to eat. You know, at one point, I think I went two months eating Totino's pizzas, which don't even exist in the store anymore. um, And burritos, bean and cheese burritos from 7-Eleven, just trying to survive. And there were times where I wanted to live my life or rather end my life and yet, you know, thoughts of my mother who passed away during that period, uh, I was unable to kind of help her find healthcare, get the care that she needed um, because I had no money. And when I think about other people in that position, the first reason I wrote my book was just so that they could maybe read and, and learn about a story of overcoming and that if even one person reads it and says, I don't have to give up, there's some hope for me to have a better life. And that was the first motivation for me in writing Dreams Deferred. And the second was that if anybody does believe and find that hope, that they understand that not only can they persevere through the struggles that they have, which are often so much more perilous when you're trying to make something of yourself. That's when it seems like life can throw all of these things at you to just try to put all these roadblocks in your way And so while trying to overcome, we don't just have to think about ourselves. I wanted to share a vision for how, no matter what kind of career you build, no matter what kind of work you want to do, you can find a place for impact. Whether that's, to your point, starting a small business, what nonprofit? You should ask yourself on day one, what causes do you care about? How are you going to support the well-being of your employees? How are you going to pay your interns and make sure that when you're providing opportunity for people in your community, you're thinking about how you can help them to grow and own homes and build their own dreams and not have to almost fall asleep in the street just to you know, have a place to, to lay their head. And so I wanted to really emphasize that idea that not only can we persevere through things, but we can do it in a way where we keep our our eye on the idea that we can make this world better than it is things don't have to be the way they are it's up to us to improve the world that we live in
1: wow it's so inspiring and I just want to applaud and acknowledge you for the heart to share your story and um, to be so bold and courageous uh, you know to inspire others and to what I sense from you uh, do good while doing well. So my prayer for you, my friend, is that, you know, God use you in a mighty way, but even bless you back as a result of the struggle. So it's just an awesome story. And I I'm, I'm know your mom would be proud. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you yeah, I, you know, I'm inspired by your story because, you know, I um, right now, and you know what, I've got to get the book because I feel like I need your book right now because this idea of social impact um, really speaks to me now. I think we what I'm learning from you is that we've always done this in informal ways, but what I'm hearing from you is we need to be much more intentional because when I hear you talk about- from a business perspective, like that would be us being more responsible and more prudent with our resources so that we could do well while doing good and also learn um, the play card of the other folks who don't look like us. Like, you know, uh, and what I mean by that is, so I'm actually, there's an organization in DC, actually, Brandilyn, I don't know if you know, Alfred, National Medical Fellowships. Um, it falls in line with HBCUs but it's not a an HBCU it is a nonprofit organization that gives um, fellowships that pays for fellowships for black medical students because of the significant health disparities in our community so you know there's an obscene number of, of black doctors physicians in the country I mean it's a it's a crazy low number and so this organization, uh, funds black medical students, right? So that that you know, when we go to the hospital or to see um, a physician, that we don't have to deal with some of the issues um, that we deal with. So in any event, um, what I'm hearing and learning from you is we need to be much more thoughtful, intentional. Get the book and look at how we do that uh, better. So I committed to helping the organization. They have a goal by November fourth to raise 3.5 million dollars. I committed to raising 75K to contribute because it's a black woman led organization and I get it. But I think this is my first time formally, I know this is my first time formally kind of having the courage to say, okay, I'm gonna use my platform. I'm gonna do this. And actually I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna write a check because I also think, no, you need to write a check and then you use your platform. You don't just use other people's money. And so, um, or maybe we do, but I'm just saying, you're. Are encouraging me now and, you know, continue to do that work. Cause that's the social impact that we're talking yeah. about, right? That's not just like you know, a donation for today, that's going to help our communities to have more physicians. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about, and are there other organizations that we should be funding and supporting? Um, is it that? Or is it investing in entrepreneurs who are raising, uh, doing angel rounds to, to support their businesses? Just if you could share what your thoughts are about where we should be supporting, and yeah. where we should be funding.
2: My answer to that question is really all of the above. And I approach social impact again from that perspective of anyone can have impact anywhere. And what that means to me is that if you are out there and you have the means, I do think it's incredibly important to support entrepreneurs of color because they're creating jobs. They are creating opportunities for their communities. They're creating new products. But additionally, I think it's vital for people to remember that it's more than just money that you can give to have an impact. If you have time, if you have expertise, if you even have the ability to listen and express empathy, sometimes that can save a life. What I'd encourage people to do is also, don't just think about the money you can provide, but think about all the resources that you have to offer and how you can bring that resource to someone else who might need it to drive change for the better. But in terms of organizations that I have my eye on and that I get really excited about um, supporting, one of them that I'd encourage everyone to check out is called the Black Venture Institute. Um, They are helping African-American professionals, professionals of color who have been successful to access knowledge about how they invest in businesses. What are the rules? How do you find them? How do you ensure they're successful? How do you advise them? And so that's something that I've got an eye on uh, another set of organizations that I look at, and they ex- I won't name a specific one. Here in DC, we have one called the Catalog for Philanthropy, but often we think of big nonprofits when we think of where we wanna send our support. But I would encourage people to find an organization that makes lists of local nonprofits and the impact that they're having in your community mm-hmm. and work with those smaller nonprofits mm-hmm. to see how you can help them because 10,000 or a thousand or even a hundred dollars to that organization, it's yeah. going to go a long way towards unlocking not only the dreams of the person founding that nonprofit, but also all of the people in the community that they hope to serve. And so, those are some of the things that I, I typically encourage people to think about. But it, it really revolves around just not getting caught in one idea of what impact looks like.
0: Wow. This is a really important set of messages for our audience because it's really important for us to um, define philanthropy based on what we can do and what we do have, when so much of the way we think about what we can't do, that other people can do, and what we don't have that other people have. Listen, you're listening to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. We want you to take this conversation to heart because ultimately you can and should do what you can to make a social impact. Uh, We'll be right back.
3: Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network
0: Welcome back to Be Lifted Up Your Guide to Living an Abundant Life. And we're talking with author, entrepreneur, and social impact change agent, Brandilyn Barnett. And listen, Brandilyn, um, one of the other things I really wanted to, to talk about, and you, you touched on it when you talked about the challenges and the travails that you experienced and talked about in your book, Dreams, Deferred, Recession, Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World. Um, and it was something that I was either, I would say, almost reawakened to during the isolation of the pandemic, you know, so I'm talking about those first six months of the global pandemic, when we really realized that this wasn't going to be kind of a short disruption, but a an extended, um, you know, disruption of our lives and an extended period of isolation. And I'm at my dining room table, you know, not feeling great, you know, because this was obviously not a mood um, booster. It was a, it was a time of many people battling either existing and intensified issues of depression or new ones because the situation had changed so dramatically. And I was one of those people. And I just remember sitting at the dining room table. And you know, and I'm a reasonably charitable person. I write checks to different things. and But I remember I decided, I, I saw a commercial about the local food bank in my community. And I started, and I started out with just writing a check. And then someone said to me, why are you just writing a check? Just subscribe. They had that option where you could just give a certain amount of money every month. And I decided, you know, I'm not going to write a check. I'm just going to subscribe. And just every month, I know a certain amount of money is going to go to this food bank. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to take some food over there. And, and it sticks in my mind because it totally changed my mood, not just for that day, but it was a turning point in my whole feeling and, and attitude about what we were going to go through. And I didn't know how long it was going to last. Obviously, it lasted almost you know, over two years but I wanna know if this was something that, that you experienced as well. I just know for me what experience was that it wasn't just about what I was doing for others through, and that was a relatively small thing, but it really did change my spirit. It changed my attitude. It changed my feeling of powerlessness and hopelessness. And it started a new mindset and a way of thinking that really carried me through to a much more positive outlook coming out of it than I had when I went into it. And I think people don't always appreciate You know, they hear the cliche, oh, giving is good for you, and it's better to give and receive, but there is a real emotional, psychological, spiritual benefit, particularly during tough times when you shift from, oh, woe is me, to, okay, woe is me, but what can (laughs) I do so it's not woe is them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that myself. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, you know, single mom, pretty poor. And I remember different moments where I awakened to the idea, which I later became obsessed with, like I mentioned, of doing social impact work. And it was the moment of realizing that I had viewed myself as someone who gets helped when I was younger. Um, You know, my mom and I, we get help from the government, from different people, that's what we do. And then at a certain point, I started to realize, wait, I can actually help other people. And that opened my mind to what else can I do that I haven't thought about myself doing? Um, and there's sort of specific instances of that feeling where one of my first jobs out of uh, college was uh, at an organization that sent volunteers all over the world uh, to do things like build schools and build orphanages. And I was just you know, a program coordinator essentially for the organization. And I said, what if we took some you know, kids like myself from Dallas and we raised some money. So I led a raffle, this was very early in my career, and raised the money and we sent them on a two week trip to Costa Rica, where they worked with local nonprofits to do environmental work. They learned about the local culture there and they got to see that they can help other people. They're not, and when they came back, that's what they reported. Mm. And that was one of the moments for me that I realized they're having a realization that I've been slowly having myself And watching them have it was so empowering for me, just this idea that, you know, I'm not just powerless to your point, I can do something to affect change. And I think COVID did, you know, I like to say I do, in my role, I've built products. I have chief product officer, product manager in different roles uh, at Salesforce and elsewhere, like I mentioned, and I'm always thinking about how we can, you know, build a product that's not only responsive to the way the world is today, but the way the world is tomorrow. And when COVID happened, a lot of people were saying, you know, it's the new normal, COVID changed that. I'm firmly of the opinion in all the market research I've done across multiple types of products that COVID didn't really change much of anything. It just accelerated a lot of the things we were already feeling, a lot of the things we were already struggling with. We were already feeling isolated. The tools that have been built to, you know, ideally, help bring us together, like a Facebook or Twitter and Instagram, they don't bring us together. I think we've all learned that. They don't make us feel less alone. The communities that we used to depend on are in many ways disappearing, and that leaves us even more lonely and even more lost. And I think coming out of COVID, I, myself and I think a lot of other people are more convinced than ever that I'm not just going to do this job, to make money for some billionaire. I want to do something where I feel a sense of purpose, where I feel respected, where I feel the other people around me are being respected, where I feel that opportunity is being created for others and people like me to grow, not just an opportunity for someone to make a lot of money, a billion dollars, a million dollars, from all of the hard work and time and blood, sweat and tears that I'm putting in, And responding to that in this new age is a way to think about social impacts. How do we bring people closer together? And I like to tell this example whenever I talk about social impact work. Um, And it's a story of like just imagining going into a town, finding a problem as an outsider. You don't know anything about that town. You don't know anything about the people in it, the problems that they face, but you kind of come in and you say, this is the solution to your problem. We're going to build you a well we're going to launch this program for you and I think that's how a lot of traditional social impact and philanthropy works being quite frank it was large organizations and institutions coming into a community and trying to drive change almost on their own mm-hmm. whereas I think now coming out of COVID and not just COVID but all of the things that it spurred in society like the Black Lives Matter movement and protests where people are saying no when you come into this community it's going to be much more effective if you ask people what their problems are, what their idea of what a solution is, and engage them. And that's actually going to lead to more effective solutions to the problems that we all face. And it's also going to lead through that engagement to a world that we're all creating together. Because the alternative is that we live in a world created by the Gates Foundation, or we live in a world created by large institutions. And I know a lot of even those institutions are waking up to the idea that we need to be making this world better together. Um, And so I think that's when I hear you, you know, talk about that experience, which was definitely very powerful for me as well. You know, I grew up an only child. So at first, it was great. I don't need to talk to anybody. I've been working from home for years, you know, nothing's different on that front. But after a while, you realize we need other people to make our world better, not just in this kind of social impact sense, but even just in the sense of a place that we enjoy living in, that we enjoy interacting in and meeting people in and talking with others and learning from them and rooting for them and for each other. And so it may be a little bit of a rambling answer there, but that's what comes to mind for me in terms of what I think came out of COVID and out of the past few years, because it's actually been, it's more than COVID, it's been a tough few years for the world. And I think that's one of the things we can take away from it is just this idea that the world we lived in wasn't actually good enough and we can do more to make it better and I just hope more and more people start to realize that we're all part of that
1: yeah yeah I'm learning a lot from Brandilyn gonna talk a little bit more about democratized ventures we're gonna talk a little bit more we've already kind of talked about your your book um your passion we're clear on your passion your heart Um, we're clear on your story and how, you know, just the struggle even inspire you to do good things and and do well while doing good. Um, But now just your insight from uh, inside of big brands and big corporations would love to hear from you. What do large corporations need to change about how they make philanthropic, uh, you know, goals and, and pursuits? Um, And then I'd also, you know, would love to hear your perspective around some of the barriers and why there aren't more folks, not in an informal way, but in a formal way in careers in philanthropy.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, your second point is incredibly true. It's something, as I mentioned, I experienced myself. I could not find a job in traditional philanthropy and large social impact organizations couldn't do it. And when you look at the demographics of those organizations, 80% of nonprofits in the U.S. are white led. The number jumps to 90% for the 300 or so largest nonprofits in the country. When you look at big foundations, only 8% of foundation CEOs are diverse leaders. 7% of grants go to diverse communities. So it actually is a big challenge when you think about what I said earlier, in the sense of we want everyone to be engaged and involved in shaping this better world. But when I think about what big companies can do to kind of counteract some of those broader trends. The first thing I say, and I've said this for years while working as a consultant and building technologies for these companies is that it needs to be an expansive definition of philanthropy. Mm. Um, And what I mean by that is don't just think about your philanthropy as once a year we're writing a check. Think about it as how are we engaging throughout the year? How are we encouraging our employees to volunteer time as well as give money? How are we giving our expertise? So there might be large nonprofit projects that could really benefit from the skill and expertise that employees might have in a given subject matter area and finding those opportunities and bringing that to the table. There are law firms that are very good at that. And then there are some other types of companies that don't even try to do it at all. And it should really be a priority for every kind of organization. And then you have to think beyond just giving to not like philanthropic giving to nonprofit organizations specifically thinking about, are we providing loans and grants to minority-owned businesses? Are we making sure that we have a good process for reviewing our suppliers and vendors to try to include minority-owned businesses and women-owned businesses into the mix of companies that we're working with? Because you can talk about impact all day long and you can make a grant into a community But if you've got a person from that community that you're trying to support, that's a brilliant person, that's got an idea that you can get behind, that's got a good product that you can believe in, and you bring them on board as a contractor, that can change the entire life of that individual, the company that they're trying to start, and all the employees that they may end up hiring. And so that kind of inclusive supply chain effort is really important. The other thing for me that I think is going to get more and more attention over the next few years is really thinking about environmental justice. A lot of the environmental movement has completely ignored the fact that a lot of waste from big companies, maybe it's being recycled or kept in a place where it's going to be taken care of later. Too often, those places are in communities like where I grew up in Dallas, in Oak Cliff, where most of the trash in the city, whether it's getting recycled at a later point or whether it's just a dump, is in communities of color and is in places where people are vulnerable more than anywhere else to the negative effects on health and the environment around them. And so those are some of the things that I think are really important to think about at a really high strategic level. Is just thinking expansively about what the impact your organization has is. The second I would say is engage. Don't do a top-down approach. And this is true not just for big companies, but for small organizations, mom and pop shops, corner stores. Don't just think about where you want to give. Think about your community of people that you're building, your employees, your customers. What kinds of causes are important to them? What can you rally around? Because if you just provide a check from your company or from your own pocketbook, that's one thing, and that's fantastic, and everyone should be encouraged to do that. But if you have a community around you of any kind, and you have the opportunity to engage everyone in that community in giving, in volunteering, in just offering their thoughts or even just sharing the word on social media. Think of the greater impact that you can have when you take that more expansive approach and center engaging people. And the third thing I wanna say is something that affected me personally. I mentioned you know, my story of trying to build my career, taking unpaid internships, not being able to eat, developing ulcers, watching my mother pass away when I didn't have health insurance and no way to help her. No one should have to go through those things. So when you think about creating opportunities for people in the space of philanthropy or any kind of company, just pay people, pay your interns. I mean, I just, I can't say it enough. And it's something that I'm shocked is still happening, but people should be paid for the work that they do.
1: Okay, Brandilyn, yes, let's talk about this for a second. We need to, I think this is hashtag new rules, and I think we need to, is this like a bill? Is this legislation? We need to cancel unpaid internships. You just struck yeah. a chord. Yeah. I mean, how do we get this done? Because that there's so much that we can do. And I'm so inspired by you. I'm so grateful for you. But that piece right there, I think that goes with the impact that needs to happen. And we need to leverage this window of opportunity after the diversity tipping point. We yeah. should say, we should challenge corporations, major branch, Fortune 500. Um, beyond performative, beyond you writing, a check, a one-off, we need these things canceled. You can no longer have unpaid internships because it does not work for people of color. That doesn't work in corporate. It also doesn't work on Capitol Hill. I've learned why we are not in Congress, the House of Representatives, and they have issues, uh, huge uh, gaps in terms of of diversity. It's because we cannot afford to leave college and go where are we going to live in Washington, D.C. So, yes, let's talk about that, that last piece, Brandilyn. How do we get that done? What can we do?
2: We got to start a movement. And I think there are, we don't have to do it alone. There are already people fighting for that. You know, I'm one of them and there are others, but I'm happy to amplify anything that moves that forward because I would say it's not even just internships. We have a culture of not paying people for the work that they do. Mm. So for example, when you think about companies engaging employees, a lot of them have started what they call employee resource groups. These are often LGBTQ employees, employees of color, Native American employees and they're being asked to create communities so that people like them feel like they can belong in that company and in that organization and like they're being heard well you have people leading these organizations sometimes of thousands of members off the side of their desk while doing their full time job yes. helping the company yeah, increase the rates that they're retaining these employees increase their engagement make it easier to not pay them as much of a raise i mean the data shows that all of that is true they should be paid for that work that benefits That's right. And so th- what we need to do is you know, when you talk about new rules, the rules should just be pay people for the value that they provide. I'm running a small startup here in Washington DC called The Regular, like I mentioned. And you know, from the beginning, we've said, we're not going to bring on someone that we're not going to pay them, pay them money That's right. for the That's work great. That they're doing. And it's just, I- I'll, let's, let's put together a pledge form, whatever we have to do. But at the end of the day, we all need to hear the message that people deserve to be paid for what they do. And I wanna say one last thing in terms of what a lot of organizations and people who are engaging in social impact can do to make things better is just talk about it. Too often, we are doing good, we're helping others, we're moving those resources to people who need them in whatever way, shape or form is possible for us. And then we don't talk about it. We don't tell people about it. We have to tell people about it to inspire others to act, especially young children who need to see an example of how we all can be part of making things better. We all can be helpers as well as being helped. But all of that requires resources. And so I love this idea sign me up. You know, people need to be paid for the work they do. And the more people we have building careers, living successfully, finding their dreams, buying homes, supporting their families the more we're all going to be able to have a voice, have the time to voice, to drive change, and the more resources we're all going to be able to move to the causes that need them to make this world better. Because right now, the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of us agree, the world as it is isn't good enough, but I think and hope that we can do better.
0: Quickly, Brandilyn, where where can people find you on social? Is there a website our audience should go to so we can continue to, to promote these ideas and ultimately change culture? So when you talk about the importance of talking about it, no. You know, that's part of the culture change. We're not just talking about one off contributions. We're talking about changing the way of thinking in a given culture around philanthropy. Yeah, you can
2: always Google me. I'm Brandilyn. Uh, there's not a lot of Brandolins out there, but you can True. find me on Twitter at Brandilyn B, on LinkedIn. I'm open to anyone who wants to talk about things that they've been through or find some hope um, or share a story. Uh, you can also find me at Uh, You can check out my company, The Regular, uh, theregularapp.com and see all the local businesses that we're working with on a lot of these issues. Um, and then finally, I invest in entrepreneurs of color and women entrepreneurs through a vehicle I call Democratized Ventures. So each year I give between 10 and 20K uh, to startups to help them uh, achieve their dreams. And then I try to advise them using my expertise as a product manager and product designer. Um, and so... Yeah, find me Brandolin. I'm here, um, and just want everyone to know that there's hope, and that you can have an impact, no matter who you are or what resources you have.
0: And that's democratizedventures.com. And let's not forget your book, Dreams Deferred: Recession, Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World. Another way to connect with Brandon and Brandolin and his message. Listen, Brandolin, really glad to have you on the show. Um, anybody that's Um, inspires Dee to promote new rules because she's all about it. She's about change. It's it's a great guest to have on the show. So we really want to express our appreciation for you joining us on Be Lifted Up, Your Guide to Living an Abundant Life.
2: Oh, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And uh, Dee, let's do it.
1: (laughs) Wow, 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 wow. I'm so inspired, Alfred. That was such a High quality, high value, yummy, delicious show. And I, I think I just have, um, you know, a warm heart for a brother who is just about doing well, doing good. Soft spot, of course, hearing single mom, you know, I'm a, my mom was single mom and that he lost his mother. But I'm grateful for the show and the topic that we really delved into social impact. So we are a little bit more educated on social impact, philanthropy, um, the industry. And so uh, Brandilyn Barnett, uh awesome guest everybody google we're going to include this of course um alfred will share all of, on all of our channels will will definitely share but brandon barnett alfred what do you think about today's show
0: well we definitely want people to check out his website brandolinbarnett.com that's b r a n d o l o n b a r n e t t.com um and you know and so you can learn about all things brandolin barnett um democratizedventures.com again is to help promote um, resources for entrepreneurs. He's doing so many great things, Dee. And, and, yeah. and I'm glad that we, we are in a position to elevate what I think is an important new voice um, in multiple spaces. Yeah, um, oh, you
1: know what? We forgot to ask him about his run for office. Now, what is he? Is he the councilman, the congressman? he? We, we he didn't
0: forgot. go into great detail about that because he's doing so much. We got We're going to get him back on the show. Listen, guys, pay attention to what Brandon Barnett is doing. Listen for his name and his work. Get his book, Dreams Deferred, Recession Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World. And keep up with this episode and every episode of Be Lifted Up Radio at B, the letter B, liftedupradio.com. Same thing on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, the letter B, Lifted Up Radio. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. She's D.C. Marshall, and we'll see you next time. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life.